Hello and welcome to Two Peds in a Pod, the medical education podcast from the Children's Emergency Department in Derby. Uh, my name's Ian Lewins, one of the consultants uh, down here. Um, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by one of my paediatric consultant colleagues, Dr Richard Bowker. Good afternoon, Richard. How are you? Hello, I'm very well. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, delighted. Um, and Richard, you've got a particular sort of subspecialty interest in rheumatology. Yeah, so I've been, um, I'm a general paediatrician, but I've been running the paediatric rheumatology clinic here for about nine years now. So I've got a bit of a flavour of what's in that clinic and what stays out of that clinic. Okay, which is pertinent, I think. Um, So I thought it'd be really helpful for, for many of our listeners who often see children with joint problems to get an idea of how you would approach that child. So just thinking then about your outpatient clinic, what are the sort of types of referrals that you receive from from primary care and from GPs? Okay, so um, often it's related to joint pain in particular. Sometimes it can be global joint pain sometimes it can be very specific joint pain and it depends slightly on how the letter is written as to how much I can um, gauge from that the urgency of needing to see so there are some standards for uh, a joint that's got arthritis that we're meant to see them and sort them out within four weeks so if I if I see a letter that's got very clear swelling or decreased range of movement written down, then that will flag some alarm bells in in my mind. If it says this has been a long-standing problem for years and they still have a full range of movement of their joints, but they're in pain when they move, that to me suggests it's less likely to be an inflammatory condition and more likely to be some other uh, cause underlying the pain. Mm. So I, I guess when you're scanning through those letters, it's those things that you're making you think, this is more likely to be rheumatological. So it's swelling and restriction in movement. Restriction in movement, yeah. Those are the two key ones that often will will flag things up for me. Um, Often it's in individual joints, Mm. so individual large joints, or if it's in small joints of the hands, again, that's a key feature that we don't tend to see as much in those individuals who have chronic pain that's not uh, inflammatory in nature or rheumatological in nature. Okay. And does when you're sort of trying to plan your clinics, does um, age influence how quickly you see people? Um, to a degree, but not as much as you'd think. So often the younger the child the less clear I am about the assessment that can be done, including my own assessment, actually, at times, because they can be different on different days. Um, The teenage population, a a lot of them do sports and they can get quite tired and get muscle aches and pains. But I try not to be biased by that sort of split between I'll see the under-10s quickly and Mm. I'll leave the teenagers for longer. That, you know, we see very good letters from GPs that make it very clear that this is a a new arthritis and also very clear that this is not a new arthritis but needs management. And uh, if you were sort of in your ideal referral letter, are there any other things that you would kind of want in there from the GP or from us? So I, I guess how long the problem's been going on for. Also, whether there's a strong family history of inflammatory arthritis. Unfortunately, rheumatoid arthritis is a very big umbrella term that gets banded about in general public and in um, health areas as well Um, but if there's someone in the family who's on methotrexate or on strong disease modifying agents that's quite useful to know it's also useful to know if a member of the family has got chronic fatigue or chronic pain that's not rheumatologically Mm. uh, influenced because that can sometimes help to know what's going on in the background okay so they come to clinic from from your gp um 
do you, do you have a sort of a standard performer when you're taking a history and examination? Or um, so I I don't have a performer anymore. I did to start off with, right. um, and the sorts of questions apart from how long it's been going on for and which joints are affected. And I think which joints are affected is quite a tricky question because you've got to go through every single joint with particularly the younger children to know that uh, that, that we've identified them all, including the jaw. So a lot of people would forget the jaw or the neck or the spine. Yeah. They are they are joints as well, a temporomandibular joint. Um, I'd want to know a little bit about connective tissue um, signs, so disease signs, such as is there a rash on the face, so a butterfly rash, yeah. particularly in, in warm weather? Do they like going out in the sun or does it make them feel lousy? Um, is there any uh, rainos phenomenon? So do they get cold hands and feet even when it's nice and warm? If they do, does it change colour? Does it go white, then blue, then tingle and go red? Also, skin can be affected with joints. So is there any features of psoriasis? And I usually, when I'm introducing psoriasis, I said, do you ever have any dry skin, any eczema in the flexures or any psoriasis on the elbows? Yeah. And psoriasis can also affect the belly button, also the buttocks and also the back of the ears. So those are places that you need to ask if you've got any dry skin around there. Um, after that, we're really looking for a family history of inflammatory arthritis, but also colitis as well. Mm -hmm. So do you have any blood in your poo, any tummy ache or any diarrhoea? So those are the sort of the screening questions that, that I go with. Okay. And then moving on to the examination, I guess it's, do you examine every joint? Do you sort of do a P-GALS? So the, so the PGALS is a really useful screening tool. I have to say that I've moved away and I do examine every joint right. by pressing on them. Possibly by force of habit, I tend to examine the right hand more than the left hand because it's on the right hand side <laughs> and, you, and you notice it more. But you actually get a feel for whether these joints are swollen or yeah. painful. And it tends to be the, um, the more proximal joints rather than the distal joints. So you don't get much arthritis in the DIP joints of the hand. So if you press on the DIPs and they're really tender... You're wondering a little bit whether this is inflammation. Okay. And you're going, you're going for the range of movement. I don't recall the numbers of joint range of movement. You just look at your own hands and hope that you haven't got arthritis yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, but range of movement, most uh, under 10s will have a degree of hypermobility of the elbows. So yeah. they should slight, they should get to absolutely full straight, if not slightly more. Um, the knees, again, in the under 10s tend to hyperextend a little bit. So you should be able to get those to exactly straight. Yep. Um, the... The fingers are quite obvious if they're swollen and if they're tender. The elbows, you've got to press to feel that tenderness just um, in, the, in the hollow of the elbow there, and that can be particularly sore. And feeling for warmth as well in those places. Shoulders are really hard, actually, to get a good feel for whether there's arthritis or not mm. because a, a lot of rotator cuff weakness causes similar pain. Yeah. Um, hip pain, uh, so inflammation in the hip isn't tolerated very well any fluid in that hip joint mm. and they really can't weight bear can't move it hip pain is felt in the groin rather than on the outside of the hip so again if they're pointing to their pelvis rather than the groin then again that's more likely to be musculoskeletal rather than inflammation within the in the joint the knees again they're quite exposed so you can mm. see swelling quite nicely you'll have lost the dimples of the knees if there's good swelling. Um, they'll be warm and they'll be tender. 
they may maintain a range of movement, even with quite a large effusion, but often they will lack that full extension or hyperextension if there's been an effusion there for a while. And is it, I guess it's far more challenging to do this in a young uncooperative? Absolutely, child. absolutely. So examining on the knee of the parent, yeah. you, you really struggle to wiggle the hips or to wiggle the knees in the same way. So it can be just observation of them walking and limping and trying to work out exactly which one it is. But if they're inflamed, you usually can tell because they're warm and they don't like you moving it. Mm. If they're not inflamed, they won't like you moving anything if they're in that grumpy mood yeah. or, or they'll let you play quite happily. Okay. I think one, one examination feature that people don't recognise is leg length. So if you've had one knee that's been inflamed, it's been warm, it's had more blood flow, therefore the growth factors go into that growth plate faster. So in fact, the affected leg will grow longer than the unaffected leg. So measuring the leg length can really be useful to know if you've had untreated arthritis in a knee for a long time. That's a good top tip. It is a top tip because you can also reassure families that if they're worried about swelling that's not there on the day that you see them if there's no <coughs> leg length discrepancy then you can be reassuring that you're not missing anything even though you can't see anything that day and it's a good day okay so this is a good opportunity for everyone to go out and practice measuring real and apparent leg length exactly yes uh, so anterior superior iliac spine down to the um, medial malleolus uh, 0.5 of a centimeter difference is normal if you're getting more than one centimeter of difference and that would be considered abnormal and you can just look at them standing do they stand with one knee mm. bent when they're when they're upright that's another good way of doing it okay so you've done your history done your examination you're thinking I, th I think there might be something rheumatological going on here moves on to the slightly thorny issue of what investigations do i need to do do i need to do blood tests and i have to confess this is the bit where i always go oh god which ones do i need to do okay so arthritis inflammatory arthritis is a clinical diagnosis so in fact you don't really need to do any investigations okay. however however it is always useful to prove that there is some inflammation somewhere so a full blood count particularly thinking about the platelets which yep. are often raised in arthritis doing electrolytes and lfts for no other reason to prove that they're normal is is helpful for me um, a crp and an esr can be helpful but often if it's just one joint that is, is affected you won't notice a systemic uh, impact so okay. all the bloods can be normal and they can still have arthritis okay. we're now talking about the fancy tests yep. so um when we're looking at the classification of juvenile idiopathic arthritis whether you're ana positive or ana negative perhaps puts you in a slightly different group for uveitis and other inflammation of the eye um, if you're ana positive and you've got just one joint affected you're more likely to have eye disease at some point in the stage of the disease okay. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to grow out of that oligoarticular arthritis. If you've got multiple joints affected, if you're rheumatoid factor positive, yeah. then that will make a bit of a difference to whether you're going down a long term um, problem rather than it being a one that you can grow out of as well. So doing an anti-nuclear antibody test and doing a rheum uh, rheumatoid uh, factor or rheumatoid antibody is is ideal. 
I have also come across the occasional child who's presented with joint pains who've got celiac disease. So Mm -hmm. I tend to, if I'm going to stick a needle in a young child in particular, I'll just add on celiac serology at the same time. Okay. So it's okay to do a rheumatoid fact because our system tends to give you a slightly terse message that says it's not very helpful. Yeah, so I think it's... It's, it's an inflammatory marker. If it's raised and they've got no joint mm. conditions, then that's not a problem. Uh, in our lab, it goes up to normals up to 20. So the, the youngsters that I've seen have had some of them have been up to 250. And they've also got another thing called an anti-CCP antibody, which, again, is, is a feature of, um, of rheumatoid arthritis. And that was very high as well. So I think if it's sky high in the context of having mm. multiple joints, it's confirmatory. But if it's borderline and you weren't sure about the joints it's still a Mm. clinical diagnosis of arthritis that's a key okay that's really helpful i feel less bad now um and then thinking i guess about diagnosis this is a slightly odd question but once you've seen somebody do you aim to have they leave with a diagnosis or is it a bit of here's what i here's what i think is likely to be going but we'll wait and see so it, it it depends on the story. Mm. So if this is uh, an acute onset of a swollen knee, this could be a reactive arthritis to a virus that's going to settle down and go away. If this, however, is the third episode of a swollen joint or limping, then that puts you more into the features that this is going to be a long-lasting, mm. relapsing and remitting condition, so an idiopathic arthritis. So it, I will say this could be... Um, unless it's been going on for a long time and it's Mm. absolutely clear that we've got, we're riddled with polyarticular arthritis and we've got definite joints everywhere, then I'll be much more consistent and say, yes, this definitely is. But you don't have to go out with a diagnosis there and then, but you do have to go out with a treatment plan. Mm. And that can be quite difficult if it's a new presentation within the first few weeks of it being a raised, a swollen knee, for example. Do you watch and wait for a bit longer Mm. and risk the joint? being nibbled away by the inflammatory process or do you dive in with some quite potent treatment at, at times mm-hmm. and then if we just sort of touch on treatment slightly um i guess what, what i want to know is if i'm seeing um somebody in the emergency department and i'm thinking i think this child's got an arthritis and i'm referring them on to you is it reasonable to sort of start them on high dose ibuprofen non-steroidals whilst they're waiting to see you? I think that's very sensible. Um, obviously, asthma in adults can be affected by um, by, uh, by ibuprofen. Having done the renal function, um, yeah. it's useful to know yeah. that you're going to start high-dose ibuprofen um, or naproxen, which is given twice a day. I don't think you're going to do any harm by giving regular non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents and having a conversation with your local um, paediatrician with an interest in joints. Mm. Um, Giving a course of steroids, Mm. I think, is probably slightly more in the remit of the the paediatrician with an expertise, but um, it it sort of depends on the presentation. I I myself struggle with starting steroids. If there is one joint affected, it would be preferable to inject that joint with steroids rather than giving bucket loads of systemic Mm. steroids. The um, paediatric rheumatology community is split on how to give steroids if you are going to give it systemically. Some prefer to um, 
give oral steroids, some prefer to give IV methylpred, other, others prefer to inject every single joint mm-hmm. that's inflamed with lots of steroids under general anaesthetic. So there's not a right and wrong way, but I think that those decisions need to be taken with a degree of expertise and, and, and with a knowledge that you're likely to be moving on to the next step of treatment, which is going to be methotrexate. Okay, which we won't sort of touch well, on no. today. I think it's slightly outside the remit. Um, but I guess in terms of other treatments to think about or other modalities, it's important to mention things like physiotherapy and OT. Do they sort of, do you tend to do a joint clinic with them? Or? So I'm, I'm lucky that I have a joint clinic with an OT and a physio right. in the room with me. Um, and they're very helpful at um, uh, organising splints and also picking up the muscle weakness that I might not be so good at picking up. And um, they'll often say, look at those wasted quads and think, oh, yes, they are wasted aren't they um and they will work on improving the joint strength which is key to um improvement of long-term um arthritis if you get weakness down one side you'll get more pains from the musculoskeletal side effects of of hobbling around mm. on top of the arthritis as well and just to sort of slightly going back to, to the do you ever do joint aspirations diagnostically in clinic at all or is it not in clinic. So um, if we're doing a, uh, if we're putting a needle into a joint, either that will take place with Entonox mm. or it will take place under a general anaesthetic. So it's not done there and then on the on the okay. day um, or certainly not in my clinic. Um, in terms of diagnosis, well, you can really, it's usually the knee mm. that you can see. It's massive, it's big, it's got an effusion. I guess the differential for that is is this a septic joint. Well, yeah. they should be septic. Yeah. They should have systemic illness with that. I have been um, uh, tricked recently and found someone with haemophilia and under the general anaesthetic, blood came out of the joint right. that I was not expecting. So taking a bit of a, a I'm now taking more of an interest in the bruising and the clotting history yeah. than I was for the little ones and I uh, than I had thought beforehand um, but as far as the diagnosis is concerned the aspiration doesn't really change much unless it's a surprise okay fine that's that's useful to know and then just I guess thinking in terms of you mentioned haemophilia are there any other things that should be going through our mind as, as sort of Slightly less usual differentials, you know, I I often think we talk about bone pain and and leukaemia and those sorts of things. Is there anything else weird and wonderful that we should be looking out for? Does it tend to be sort of septic joints, reactive joints? I think if it's it's in the joints, then I'd say it's septic joints or reactive joints or... um, the the occasional uh, uh, haemophilia. In terms of other causes of generalized pains um there is a condition called um chronic recurrent multifocal osteomyelitis which can cause pain slightly outside the joint they particularly get a lytic lesion in their clavicle um so they get clavicular pain and a lump and an inflammatory mass over their clavicle but they can also get that in other areas as well so if you've got this sort of osteomyelitis type picture and it's in multiple areas, and it could be this funny inflammatory condition. Um, More common is sort of generalised muscular pains, and we see that in young people who've got hypermobility or young people who've just got weak for any reason whatsoever. And I've got a sort of a... I try to separate out those with inflammatory conditions to those who've got musculoskeletal conditions. And the things that I look for in those who've got musculoskeletal conditions are, have they got really tight hamstrings? Yeah. 
Have they got collapsing ankles, which will cause um, problems throughout the weight-bearing joints? Um, I guess one other area is spinal pain. So mm. a lot of teenagers get backache, and I'm often asked, is this ankylosing spondylitis? Okay. Yeah. So ankylosing spondylitis affects the sacroiliac joints as well as the, the spine. It's diagnosed on an X-ray in adult land. It's diagnosed in an MRI scan for me because it's much quicker to get um, a good inflammation uh, picture on the MRI scan. And that's uh, the clinical picture, though, is limited movement in the hip joint and stretching the leg over to the opposite side whilst it's bent so trying to get the knee to the nipple on the opposite side pressing on the buttock causing pain and reduced spinal flexion so there is a measurement that you can do called the Schober index where you measure 10 centimeters from the top of the natal cleft to any of the spinal processes and then you get the young person to bend forward as much as they can mm. if that measurement goes from 10 centimeters to 15 centimeters then that's normal if it's less than that then they've got restricted spinal movement and it might be worthwhile considering ankylosing spondylitis but it's really rare mm. until you get into late teenagehood and the early 20s but i'm often asked that about back pain in mm. children okay and then i guess just to round off um from our perspective in the ED, you know, we get a really great service from you. Is there other things that should trigger alarm bells in in our minds that say actually this child should be seen pretty much the same week or even admitted for review? Are there any urgent things? So I think if you've got a systemic onset juvenile idiopathic pathic arthritis these children will generally be poorly with high temperatures that that will be once a day or twice a day going on for a few weeks so it's almost like a kawasaki yeah. differential um and they'll have swollen joints possibly towards the end of that illness uh the other sort of illness that you would want to have is when they've got weakness with pain so have they got a juvenile dermatomyositis mm. that can be causing them to be in a wheelchair because they're, they've got pain and weakness and sometimes they can't quite differentiate between muscular weakness and pain so making sure you've done a ck which perhaps yeah. i should have put into my list of blood tests somewhere would can be helpful um so so i think those are the only two conditions i'd say they need to be looked at that day or admitted that day fair enough so really it's it's taking a really sound history and doing a really sound examination as is so much in pediatrics absolutely lovely Richard, that's I've learnt lots as always. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome.